you are about to listen to a message from the Father's Church. The Father's Church is an assembly of believers committed to revealing the fatherhood of Almighty God to this generation through sound biblical teachings and corresponding moral conduct. This message will challenge, encourage and propel you to fulfill your purpose and live that life that God originally designed for you as revealed in His Word. Be blessed as you listen. of the senior pastor, the governor general, and the entire governors of the Father's Church. Welcome to 2022 Men Under Authority Summit. Blameless. Hallelujah. Amen. It is our prayer tonight that at the end of this summit, your life will never remain the same again. In the name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. So without much ado, we like to go quickly into the conversation segment this evening. Praise Jesus. My name is Emmanuel Osemeka, and it is a great honor and privilege to moderate this conversation tonight. And I pray that the Almighty God will grant me wisdom and understanding in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray also that God Almighty will answer and meet you at the point of your need tonight in the name of Jesus. Every question you have, every secret question by his mercy, we pray tonight that he will use his verses tonight to minister to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, our Father. So quickly, I'd like to invite my panelists, starting with Governor Chris Ekei. Governor Chris Ekei is a development specialist with over 18 years of experience in capacity building, project implementation, and performance tracking. His field activities centers around research and monitoring and reporting for donor-sponsored development projects. He is currently the monitoring, evaluation, and learning specialist of the Power Africa Nigeria, the Nigeria Power Sector Program. He holds a bachelor's and master's degrees in sociology from Amadou Bello University and the University of Ibadan, respectively. He speaks Hausa, Yoruba, and Igala languages fluently. He is a governor in the Father's Church. He is married with children. With Jesus' joy, please, church, make welcome Governor Chris Ekei. Welcome, sir. Hallelujah. My next panelist is an architect. Praise the Lord. Architect Ihechineme Maxwell. Is an architect and a builder. Architect Maxwell holds a master's degree in architecture with honors from the prestigious University of Nigeria and Suka. He's a member of the Nigerian Institute of Architects and registered with the Architects Registration Council of Nigeria, ACON. For close to two decades, Maxwell has worked on numerous project sites across the country in supervisory and managerial roles, speaks Hausa and Igbo fluently, and understands Yoruba considerably. Good leadership qualities as expressed in various positions. He's currently the managing director, head of design and research, Max Hoxman Architect Abuja. He's a governor in the Father's Church. He's married and he's got children as well, to the glory of God. So with Jesus' joy, church, make welcome 
architect Maxwell Ihechineme. Welcome, sir. Praise God. My next panelist is a pastor. Praise the Lord. Pastor Mudiaga Ifeta. Pastor Mudiaga Ifeta is a pastor of the Father's Church, Papi Hills. He is actively committed to getting the message of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his entire ramification to the people of all creed and status. He was called to the Nigerian bar as an advocate and solicitor in 1992. Pastor Mudiaga Ifeta is married to Assistant Pastor Ngozi Ifeta and they are blessed with four wonderful children. With Jesus Joy Church, please make welcome Pastor Mudiaga Ifeta. Praise Jesus. Welcome, sirs. Hallelujah. Amen. So, tonight, by his mercies, we will attempt to discuss on varying issues regarding workplace, marriage, spouse, and parenting. Praise Jesus. So, once again, I welcome you to Blameless 2022 Men Under Authority Summit in Jesus' name. We acknowledge and welcome our brothers and sisters who are joining us online. Some are joining on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and of course, Mixel. We implore you to send in your comments, questions, and if time permits, we will attend to them as well. As we are all familiar and aware, the team for this year's conference is blameless. So I would like us to kick off with that team. So in the next two minutes each, I would like us to individually, you know, speak to the team. I start with Governor Chris. Two minutes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, uh, let me start this way. Um, our Lord Jesus, at the end of his ministry, was having a discussion with his disciples, and he said something, something very profound. He said um, that it's actually in John chapter 14, verse 13 or 30, thereabouts. The ruler of this, of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. You know, Jesus Christ was just saying that, um, paraphrasing, the enemy has come to check me out like he did in several times before now, like he has done in several times before now, but he has nothing in me. So trust me, he's not going to see anything in me. Now, fast forward, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Uh, Paul was writing to Ross Christians, and he said, we have this ministry, and because we have this ministry, we receive mercy, not to faint, and then we do one thing. We renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, but or handling the word of God deceitfully, so that there will be a manifestation of the truth in our lives. And by this manifestation, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So it is absolutely necessary that every one of us must strive towards, you know, be, to become blameless in our work with God, so that there will be a manifestation of the truth and a fulfilling and achieving of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in and through us, so that by this manifestation we commend ourselves to every man's conscience without even preaching. Your life, your mien, your, your decision making begins to preach to people. 
And that is what, that's the ministry that every one of us have been called into. And that's why we must strive to be blameless in our work with God. Hallelujah. Governor Maxwell. Praise God. Hallelujah. Okay, um, I think for me, blameless, when we look at the scriptures, look at Genesis, when God started speaking with um, to, what's his name? Abraham. 17, it says, walk before me and be blameless. And, you know, generally looking at it, you understand that before that time, God already appeared to Abraham and had transactions with him and all that. But when he got to the point when he wanted to become very useful, he begin to give birth to his offspring. He said, that's the time he appeared. He said, walk before me and be blameless. For me, I understand that being blameless is a function where you get to the point where God begins want to want to, you know, um, delegate work for you to do serious work. Called you and separates you to that place of being blameless. And if you look at that aspect, you discover that as he appeared before um, Abraham the second time, he said, Walk before me and be blameless. He opened up his eyes to understand that, see, if you do this stuff, this, I will multiply you, you know, I'm going to, you, you know, um, open up opportunities for you and also establish you for you to be a father of many nations. So, also as believers, I think the point where we are now, even as an assembly, is where God has called us to separate us, to delegate us to higher tasks. Being blameless. So also for every Christian. The moment God is speaking to you to say, be blameless. You begin to understand that there's something higher that is coming. It means that whatever you've been doing before might be just maybe play. You've been doing child's play. has winter, so many things. But this is serious business now. You are entering sonship. You are entering that place where, you know, I'm separating you to be a father of many nations. So you say you have to be blameless. So blameless is, you know, is a key character for a Christian that we should not just, you know, look at the side and, you know, avoid. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Blameless is a key character for every believer. Praise Jesus. Pastor Moody. Praise the Lord. I would like to start by quoting George Washington. He said to the character of a patriot, it should be our most, the highest glory to add to it the most excellent character of a Christian. Now, that tells you that we are not on the same pedestal with unbelievers. We are different. We are carriers of God. Paul said in Acts 24 that herein have I exercised myself to be of good conscience, void of offense towards God and towards man. So to be blameless is to bring yourself to that place where you see yourself doing all of the will of God everywhere you are and at every time without exception. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much for sticking to time. That is excellent. Praise God. So quickly, um, if you have any question in the course of the conversation, um, there's a phone number we're going to put up here right now. You send your question to that phone number and um, if time permits, we will attempt your question. Otherwise, we'll take it up on Sunday. So this is the first series. The second series is on Sunday. So thank you very much. So we move quickly. Now, we've been able to lay some sort of foundation on the theme. And I pretty much understand how you personalized the aspect of being blameless and the various scriptures you mentioned. So I'd like to start with um, Governor Maxwell. I'm taking it straight to your profession and your workplace. So I'd like to hear 
and I'll come right round as well. In your profession as an architect and a builder, can we understand or share from your experience, okay, what has been your experience as a believer who is in the marketplace where all kinds of shenanigans applies? How has it been for you? How easy, how complex, or how simple has it been for you? Well, thank you so much. Praise God. You know, um, it is not easy. It is not easy because you're out there mixed up with so many people around there. And, you know, God promised us, he said, you are the light of the world, not the light of the church, the light of the world. So it means that we are supposed to shine out there, not really in the church. So in terms of being an architect, you know, basically as an architect, you know, you ought to have integrity, ethically, you know, and all that. You need to also be open in your transactions and all this kind of stuff. But especially in our environment now, Nigeria, so many stuff on the hand, cuttings and all that. So you have a client that you have to deal with. So for you to represent that aspect of it, you know, you have to open up, basically. So like, you know, open up to the clients, open up your books. So most times, my, for, my, for me, my experience is that I, I basically charge clients based on after documented, you know, works and all that, and they pay a certain percentage. So for you to be able to pay such certain percentage, it means you have to be accountable. It means you have to be able to tell the client and say, see, concerning these funds that you've given, we're able to do this, we're able to do that and that, and show evidence. You know, most times I go to the market to buy stuff and say, give me receipts. People are like, ah, why give me receipts? What should I write on it? What should I, should I give you blank? I not write what I bought. It's just, it's not receipt. You know, so it's funny when you meet people out there, when you ask for receipts for some stuff, and they begin to wonder why you didn't know the receipt. As an actor for me, I stick to those things, getting receipts, even for my staff. Even as you go out, just get receipts. Even if just get receipts, it shows accountability. It shows that you're serious and also transparent. When you bring out your reports concerning certain works and you display them with receipts, it shows accountability, not receipts that you could talk. You know that kind of stuff. So it's important. And also, you know, when you're out there, you open up to people having to challenge, to challenge your, your own person as in your belief as a Christian. And it opens me up to that point where my baseline is C. I, I'd rather not have a disagreement with somebody. My thought is that if my matter with my client or whoever is judged, they should not find me wanting, no matter what happens. So it means for me to give up on something sometimes, you just you need to silence on something and give up some gratuities that you need to have and all that. So it has to be that. It's painful sometimes. You have to you know, do double works and all that. But the industry doesn't allow this kind of stuff, but you, need, you must stand out. And I tell people, I tell my friends, I say the best thing you can do as a Christian in these times is for you to stand out and people know you that if you say you're going to do this concerning this kind of thing in your business, you try and do that. You keep to it. It helps. And if you are able to stand out even in the world, praise God. Praise Jesus. So in a nutshell, accountability, transparency is the watchword. Your word is your bond. So you agree to a specification, you stick to it. Irrespective of whether you're making a profit or you're not making a profit. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. So I come to you, Governor Chris. You are an M&E specialist, if I can use the word. And that's also another level of accountability. So you are sort of an auditor in projects, field monitors and all that. And if I understand your field properly, it means it shows clearly, my understanding is that you are exposed to the vagaries of um, being blameless or you are challenged daily 
to show that you're blameless or not. Can you share your experience with us as an M&E officer? And if you can tie it to a specific project that you've monitored, evaluated, and submitted a report. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, the kind of job we do is actually we track performance progress and we report to clients. That means I can choose to manipulate the numbers so that the clients will be happy for my organization. It's possible, you know. But what I have chosen to do in this line of work is that as much as possible, I try to report verified numbers. Now we've had issues where, of course, where we sit down with the leadership and they tell you, uh, this number is too low. Uh, why don't you look at this area? Why don't you look at this area? Because I anticipate this kind of things, I always prepare myself so that the areas they are likely to point out to me, I already have reasons why we cannot go there. You know? And so most times, this is how I, I deal with these issues. You know? And as much as possible, I try to get source documentation for every result that is reported. In fact, the system will not even allow you, you know, to submit results without source documentation. Now, the next thing is to cook up source documentation. Generate source documentation. You can do it. People do it. But in this line of work, and the way I work, uh, my, my organization, they know me, that once I send them an email, I am request, I scrutinize the source documentation very well and make sure that my program can be tied to the results that we claim to have achieved in that documentation as much as possible. I do my best. Now, I use the word as much as possible. There are things that are outside my control, but those things that are within my control, I make sure I do them as and when expected. Thank you very much, sir. It sounds pretty easy to just hear you explain the vagaries of your work, but as a field person, I can relate. And I know the challenges that, you know, that are associated with and the pressure that comes with it as well, especially when you're dealing with external factors who already have a preconceived notion. Thank you very much and God bless you, sir. So, Pastor Moody, I want to defy a little bit. I want to deviate a bit. Or you want to add something to what they've said. Now, Governor Maxwell is an architect. Governor Chris is an M&E specialist who is involved with quite a number of heavy projects. I mean, um, power projects run into millions and, and the rest of them. In the contractual world in Nigeria, if you take a look at how contracts are given in Nigeria, the usual thing is that funds are padded for whoever is facilitating. So the question I want to ask, sir, is it okay for a believer to get involved in pre-agreement with someone who is helping to facilitate a contract in an organization? Pre-agreement. I would say categorically no. Because an arrangement of such as a Christian is not proper. There are ways to go about it. There's nothing wrong in when you do a contract and you appreciate someone. But for you to sit down and begin to work out okay, how someone is going to take a percentage of what has been given to you is wrong. One, why? Legally, under our laws, you know, 
both of you can go to jail if you are caught. Now, as not as a Christian now. And remember what I said earlier, that as a Christian, we, are, we have a higher calling, a higher responsibility. You know, my brother uh, Maxwell talked about us being the light of the world. Now, we are supposed to show to the world how things are done. Now, someone can ask the question, now, if I don't do that, then how is it possible for me to succeed? Now, there's still the God factor. Who tells you that that's the only way you can succeed? Now, I, I read about Daniel. No, not, and I came to the understanding of what happened in the case of Daniel in chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. When Daniel, you know, was asked to eat the king's delicacy, which is what it is. Yes. You know, that is the king's delicacy. The Bible said he made up his mind not to do that. Then, if you read further, you will see that they said God granted him favor, you know, before the head of the eunuchs. So he went to the head of the eunuch to lay his problem, his challenge. Now, the head of the eunuch did not agree to Daniel's terms. Daniel went further to the person that was under that head of the eunuch. Now, that person agreed and he said, try me in this if I succeed. Now, what I'm trying to say is this. There are various ways, by the Spirit of God, okay, you can be led as to how to overcome that kind of situation. I've also been in, you know, contract and all that. I, you know, happen to also be into engineering. I've been into buildings and all that. Okay. You know, I've been doing that and, you know, various other things that we do. Now, what we do is that we tell you categorically that this is not what we will do. Now, we try to present an excellent performance. Now, once you are good in what you are doing, everybody will want you. And if you are not there, they are going to be asking the question, where is this man? So, our duty is to make sure that we become very, very effective, you know, super good in what we do as Christians. Remember also the story of Daniel when he had challenges because they said an excellent spirit was in him. He was always overcoming. Instead of failing, he was succeeding. Instead of losing, he was gaining. And that is the lot. That is the blessing of someone who would decide okay, to stay with the will of God. Praise the Lord. Can we celebrate Jesus? Come on, church. So I want to push it a little further. I mean, time is not our friend, so we're just going to pick it here and there. Um, so a little further on the business angle, the stewardship and all that. So for as a business person, uh, Maxwell, how easy is it for you to pay tax and pay tight? Or should I rather say, do you pay tax? And do you pay tight? So how easy has it been for you doing that? I want to you know, share from your experience. Praise God. Um, basically, I understand that for you to be able to pay your tight as a businessman, you must be accountable. If you can't keep your books, you may get to that point where you actually don't know what or how to pay. You know, 
It's not that stuff where you know you do businesses, they pay you, it's okay, maybe I'm just gonna remove this and pay a tight and all that. But you know, accountability you know naturally drives you to that place of where you become accountable, you know what you have spent for your work, you know what is you've earned, your tax and all that, and eventually what you're gonna pay as tax. So as a businessman for me, I think that is key. being accountable, being able to, you know take note of my numbers and all that, it helps me to pay. And also, you know, I think it also helps me when I have transactions, I've been able to properly document my expenditures and all that. So tax is not really a problem. And, and with, with that, it, it really helps. But if you are really not yourself accountable, how will you be that steward that God will look up to you and say, you know what, manage these resources for me. So first of all, even amongst men, you know, People should look at you and say you're accountable, that they can give you this money to do so and so and so, and you're going to do what you have specified that you will do, not on the cutting. And you know, when you follow those precepts, eventually it narrows you down to be able to make, be accountable and pay your tax, be accountable and you know, pay your tithe. You know, because those things are things that are, you know, they are the needful for a Christian to pay your tithe and also pay tax to government. Praise God. Praise Jesus. So... If I understand clearly, for you to be accountable and transparent, you must deliberately form the habit of being organized. So it's important that every believer should be organized. That way, it will be easy for you to be accountable and transparency will be, you know, an easy thing. That way, you're able to calculate the tax to government and, of course, your tight. So, Pastor Moody, talking about tight, some people argue that tight is not in the new testament therefore there is an old testament uh, uh scripture where he says you should bring you all the tight into your storehouse into the storehouse uh you know so that we meet in the house i mean as a pastor sir can you help us praise the lord now we look at purpose now what was the purpose of the tithe? now the bible says that you know, God speaking that we should bring all our tithes and offering to his storehouse that we may have food. Okay, so the purpose was to meet needs. Okay, now at that time it was food. Now the need is greater than what they had then. So then they were not paying rent like us in Pape, light bills, fueling, and all of that. Okay, so the need has become greater than what I'm trying to say. When need becomes greater, it also means that the revenue, okay, should be what? Higher. So when we go to the New Testament, they began to talk about sowing bountifully, not sparingly. Sparingly talks about, you know, once in a while. Okay? Bountifully talks about, you know, something higher. I'm not saying we shouldn't pay tithes. I'm saying tithes is imperative, okay? But we need to do what? Take it higher because the needs are greater. In those days, there was no need for you to go out on evangelism. But now there is that need. How do you do that? If you are giving once in a while. So you give your tithes, okay? Which is 10%. That is just the base. That is to help you. Okay, the purpose is to help you to know what. Now, as a believer, if you go to the book of Hebrew, 
you will see that giving now, Hebrew chapter 1, sorry, Hebrew chapter 11, verse 4, talks about by faith Abel gave and a more excellent offering than Cain. Then God testifying of his gifts. If you read that, you go to Genesis also, you will see that he did not say gift. So Abel did not kill one animal. He killed multiple animals. So that is, you know, for a believer, you don't give tight alone. You go beyond. You don't have to give it a name. It's by faith that we give now, not by law. Okay, let me say one more thing, okay? Now, Jesus said, if you send someone out on the field, your servant on the field, when he comes back, you don't say sit down and eat. You say, come and prepare my own food. After I've eaten, then you will eat. And he says, if you obey a command, which is your duty to obey, you don't say you have done well. So tithe is a command. If you obey by giving tithe, you see, you don't say you have, you say, I'm an unfruitful servant. I have done what is my duty to do. Praise Jesus. I can stop here now. Yes, please. <laughs> like you said, praise Jesus. This is getting deeper. <laughs> we don't want to go deeper than you've gone. Praise the Lord. Governor Chris, I know you've been in the house for a while. I mean, I know you are not, you didn't just happen to the body of Christ. And many have said the reason why, they, you know, they don't pay tight is because they don't understand why they should give tight. That the church does not need it. Does church need tight? What is tight used for? Well, I think uh, Pastor Moody has said a lot about uh, what the tithe is needed for. But one thing I'll add is this. That those who speak this way are those who do not have a revelation of what it is to give to the kingdom. One, we must understand that whatever you have is not actually yours. It is God passing it through you. Two, it is expected that you take that which is given to you and give back to the kingdom. And God, in his generous, you know, manner, has said as a commandment, just give ten and keep. And I keep saying it. I used to tell my children this. They are kids, but I used to tell them this. There's a level of blessing that God will bring you into. And giving 10% to God and keeping 90 will amount to robbery. What will you do with 180 million naira a month? You take 20 million, you give God, and you keep 180 million to yourself. What are you doing with 180 million? That is a question you will be, we need to begin to ask ourselves. Are we ready to let go 90% and keep 10%? That is a revelation we need to come into. And so when we come into that revelation, giving 10% is nothing to us because we are looking to the time when we begin to give 90%. When you get the money, you take only what you need for the month and you give the remaining back to God because he gave it to you. That is a revelation. And so when people talk this way, there was there's this group I belong to, WhatsApp group. And there was this guy, it was during the time when one of the celebrities was talking about he was speaking against pain of tithes, and then this guy came up, and he was 
saying all sorts of things. And there was this other guy in the group who just kept posting, you know, Malachi, posting scriptures from Leviticus, from Deuteronomy. He just kept blasting. And the guy kept just keep ranting, ignoring the scriptures. And I knew that this was going nowhere. Then I just said, you see, my guy, you see, if tight, paying of tight bothers you that much, don't pay. Simple. You come to the house of the Lord. Your salvation is more important to God than your money. That is more important. And when he comes, the Bible says that the eyes of our understanding may be further enlightened. Continue. When he comes, the eyes of his understanding will be enlightened. Nobody will tell him before he starts paying tithe. For people who talk this way, they do not have a revelation of giving to the kingdom. They do not know that they are just channels, pipelines that God is using. And God at any point in time can choose not to pass that his resources through you. It doesn't mean you won't have money. It only means that the devil will entertain you and keep passing the money through you for his own purpose. Because the Bible calls him the God of this world. For goodness sake, who do you want to be the source of your income? The devil or God? Like I said, it is not your money. It is God's money. It's a privilege to be stewards of God's resources. Thank you very much. Praise Jesus. For me, the catchment is, if it bothers you so much, don't pay. Keep your money. Whereas, there are people who are paying 90%, not 10%. They are keeping 10% and they are paying 90%. That explains why in churches, the generators are running. Because some people are paying 90%. That explains why we are sitting on this kind of chairs. Because these were bought with money. And I believe it's people's tithes. So, let's make progress. Can we give it up for Jesus? Another question that has come up is the issue of... It is asked that, is it right for believers to borrow? Because the scripture clearly says that the borrower is a slave to the lender. Pastor Moody, you want to go first? Yes, uh, uh, I'll say there's nothing wrong in borrowing mm. if you have urgent need. Okay? But what would be wrong if you remain in borrowing? Mm. Now, and also, what would be wrong is if you borrow and don't pay. Because we we'll always have people who have needs. But what I try to counsel people is that there are ways, okay, to deal with that. I hardly borrow. I don't, I, I part, I don't borrow. Because I had an experience when I was very young. I, can't, I won't go into that details now. There are ways you go about it. You can ask for assistance, for help, if you have a need, okay? Because the Bible says we should bear one another's burden. So don't be too ashamed to have approach a brother or a sister to say, this is my need. Instead of going to say, borrow me money. Of course, when you go that way, you find out that you have changed the narrative. Now, the other thing you can also do is that, okay, like someone came to me some time ago. He was, you know, visibly under pressure. And he narrated his story to me that he was owing his landlord and the landlord was on his neck to pay. So he wanted to borrow money. I told him first, as a Christian, you should not be under pressure because you are under pleasure. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. 
So I said to him, why don't you go to your landlord? He said he needed to borrow for two weeks. I said, go to your landlord and ask him for two weeks to pay him instead of borrowing. So he said to me, you don't know my landlord. I said, yes, I don't know your landlord, but I know God. If you choose to obey God, you will find favor. Go to him. So he went to ask later, he called rejoicing that the landlord has agreed. In that situation, he did not need to borrow. Even in the hospital, you can approach your doctor. I always say, don't always be quick to accept increase or exorbitant fees. Don't always be quick. Try to negotiate. Okay, the other thing you can also do is to try to cut down on your excesses. You know, I remembered when they increased my son's school fees from by 100,000 to 300,000. I told my wife, we must remove him from that school. Let us look for a school that would accept the 100,000 or 150,000 from us. God has said he is the teacher of our children. Excellent. So we did that. After one month, they called me and they said they have not been seeing this, uh, my son in school. I said they will not come to that school again. They said, why? I said, because we increased from 100,000 to 350,000 and I can't accept that. They said, is that the reason? I said, yes. They said, come, let's talk. So I went to them. And they asked me, how much are you willing to pay? I said, 100,000. They said, bring it. Whenever, however. Now, what I'm trying to say is that don't use your faith to want to pay money that you have borrowed. Use your faith you know, to make things right. We're looking at blameless. If you put yourself in a situation where you are not able to meet your needs, you will not be blameless. I always tell people, if you read, the Bible says that we should bear one another's burden, but each man will bear his own load. If you bring your load, nobody will help you to carry it. People carry burdens, not loads. So try as much as possible to... No, if you decide to live in a house that you pay one million, whereas there's a house that they pay 500,000, one million is load. Because you need to live in a house, 500 can be a burden. Your brethren can share that body with you, not your load. And if you carry, if once you bring in a load, you will, before you know it, you will start borrowing. Now, like our brother said, a borrower will always be servant. That means you can never come out of it unless you sit down and take a decision to humble yourself and start afresh. I have done that several times, and I thank God that. He has given me the wisdom not to go into boring as a result of my trying to cut down my excesses. Praise the Lord. This time is flying. Awesome. My takeaway, burden is okay to share because that's scriptural. Not a load. Carry your load. We can share burden. Because it's very simple and very straightforward. God bless you, sir. Can we praise Jesus? Can we just celebrate Jesus? So, some questions are coming in, they're streaming in. Um, what I'm trying to do here is, uh, I mean, there are a lot of, there are marriage issues coming up, but the time is pretty short. So, we might take one or two, then now synchronize the rest for another time. However, 
on borrowing. Somebody sent you a question. Um, Governor HNM said, can somebody borrow to do business? Is that a right thing? Can a believer borrow to do business? Praise God. Um, you know, in, in the course of my doing work and businesses, I have borrowed to do business. Okay. I borrowed to do business because I consider that an investment. You know, so you, you borrow, you do business, then you re refund and pay your, you know, the necessary requirements. But also, in the terms of doing business, you know, most times people come around and say, hey, you know, you have to give me some money, I have some big business I have to run and all that. We have to be careful on the kind of businesses we are borrowing monies for. Not every business opportunity is, a, is a, you know, it's an opportunity for you to go and borrow money. Mm. You know, you have to be, you have to watch and look at that business and be sure that it is worthwhile. Because so many people have borrowed business for businesses mm. that were not businesses, and they end up being in debt, you know, and all that. Mm. So we have to consider the kind of business it is. And my advice is this: don't get into a business that you don't understand. If you don't have a handle to that business, don't get into it. Therefore, you shouldn't borrow money to get into a business that you don't understand. But if you're borrowing money for your business that you understand, you borrow money for expansion, you borrow money for, you know, for timelines because you have to meet up and you're sure that you're going to be paid. Those things I think for me are okay, you know. I also thought about the issue about the woman with the crucible that they said, go and borrow vessels and all that, you know. So I was looking at that, borrow vessels. Bottom line is that at the end of it, when she went back to the prophet, what did the prophet say? He said, go and sell. So for me, the borrowing part, he said, go and sell, pay your debts, and use the rest for your children. So that go and sell, for me, is an aspect of investment. It's not, you know, it's a, it's a good thing, but not to borrow for some upkeep and, you know, for, for disposables. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, take away, there's nothing wrong in borrowing for a well and properly thought out business that will pay back the debt. It is wrong to borrow for consumption. If I want to borrow, if I want to use somebody, somebody's uh, language, it is wrong to borrow for, to buy meat pie, to buy puff puff, or to wear good shoes. It is wrong to do that, right? Like Pastor Moody mentioned, if your income cannot support the bills coming from school fees and all that, there are options. I think I also had similar experience. My kids' school fees came in. I couldn't afford it anymore. I took them to public school, and I realized that public school was free. I was paying, is it 5000 or 2000 Yeah, I was paying 2000 naira for a very long time. So I came out of debt from that. I'm not owing anybody today, not one person. Not one person. And my son is still in that school. 5,000 naira every term. That's the school fees. So you can borrow that leave. So Pastor Moody has said it. So it's practicable. So, Governor Chris, let's delve into um, marriage a little bit. Let's just scratch the surface for today. Then by Sunday, we can see how we can expand and go into parenting, spousal, and about. Um, there are a few questions that just came in, so we'll just gloss through these questions. One of the questions says, how can a woman help her husband as an help meet to be blameless in these days and time? I'm sure the emphasis in, is in, in these days and time. And I 
I don't know the dimension. So, but how can a woman help her husband as an helpmate to be blameless in these days and time? Well, I guess um, there are two dimensions to that question. One has to do with time management, okay. given the fact that both spouses are now involved in you know, jobs, trying to make ends meet, you know, and then the other one is um, given the fact that being the helpmate and man being the head of the house, you need to play your role in checking your husband's business decisions or financial decisions, you know. So if we are to take it, you know, the first route, we will look at the time management issues. We all understand that we live in times and seasons where both spouses are actively involved, you know, in income generation. We all go to work, businesses. In fact, there are, there are times when the woman can be even busier than the man, you know. In this time and age that we are in, you know, as the helpmate, and I know the rule, the word the helpmate, you know, is like, how do I play my role, you know, that, that traditional role to complement him. him. Well, the truth of the matter is that there are no hard and fast rules concerning what you should must do, what you must not do. We've had this discussion before, you know, with friends and, you know, friends. And, and men have said, well, I help my wife with this, this chores. I help my wife with, I have helped my wife when our kids were growing up, my responsibility in the house every morning was to beat them and dress them and get them ready for school. That was my responsibility. My wife had to leave home 6.30 every morning. You know, she drives all the way, if you know, if I don't, challenge, you know, very a long distance. So my responsibility was get them ready, dress them for school, and possibly take them to school. So it's an understanding. Now, your role as your wife, as a wife, is to remain submissive, given the fact that the man's assistance should not be taken advantage of. You must know that he's offering his help and assistance out of sincere love, and he's, he knows and understands that situations have changed, and so he's supporting you the way he can, so that the pressure will not come on you, and that is why you must not take his help, you know, for granted. And so you must appreciate him and continue to adore him. And then let him know how grateful you are for all that he is doing to support you in that aspect. Now, when it comes to advising your husband, now, there is one thing that we must, we must know here. Um, when your husband is taking a wrong business decision that contradicts the law of God or the commandments of God, it is your role as a wife to stand your ground and tell him that this path you are taking, I may not be able to stop you, but I'm not going down this lane with you. And if you need to go and report him to the pastor or to the HOD, someone he respects, please do so. Because by doing so, you are saving yourself and your children. But whatever happens to that man eventually rolls back on the family. And that is why for in such situations, you must stand your ground and let him know that this is what the word of God says and this is what I'm aligning with. And as such, I am not going down this path with you. Thank you. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Are you being blessed? Please, let's give it up for Jesus.
So, Pastor Moody, let me come to you before we, we do the final round. Um, um, someone sent a question, says, what should a Christian do in an abusive marriage? You are likely to lose your life. It now says, will it be right to get a divorce? It says, what should a Christian do in an abusive marriage that one is likely to lose his or her life? Will it be right to get a divorce? Okay. Of course, uh, if you are in danger of losing your life. Now, even the courts are not in a hurry to grant divorce. What they usually do is to say you both of you should stay apart for some time so that you know people will cool down. Now, if after staying apart for some time, is still not working. Of course, you will not allow someone to, to be killed. Okay, in that instance, you can seek for divorce. Now, we might not also have the time to go into the details, you know, how uh, God sees divorce and the consequences of divorce. I, I tell people the consequences, the, the, what you need to do when you have divorced is not easy. So I always advise people, why don't you try? Okay, look at it. You, you think the Bible says that, let me just say one, that if you divorce your wife and marry another, you commit what? Adultery. What it means is that once you divorce, you cannot marry. That is what it is. Hmm. Praise Jesus. Can we put our hands together for Jesus? Okay. So we have, um, okay, a question came in just a while ago on this same borrowing matter. Someone says here, if it gets to the point where salary is not enough and I almost have to borrow money from a fellow worker that alludes to fraud. What do you advise that a Christian should do? So, he says, if he if gets to a point where salary is not enough, and I almost have to borrow from a fellow worker that alludes to fraud, I really don't get it. Is the fellow worker stealing from the office? Is that what it means? Uh, the answer is no now. <laughs> okay. Okay, Pastor Moody wants to clarify something quickly. Mm. Just on it away. When I said when, when you divorce, you cannot marry. Now I'm saying that if it's you that is bent on it, if somebody divorces you, that is not a problem. I, just, I wanted to clarify that. But if it is you that is the issue in that marriage, that's what I'm trying to say. If you are the problem in that marriage, if you divorce, in fact, that is it. So you need to change, that's what I'm saying. If you are the problem, you need to change. So if you are the problem, you need to change and change now. Praise God. So do you understand that question? I mean, it's, what I understand clearly is that someone is in, the, in a, a working environment and someone probably has a financial issue and, but has to borrow from a colleague in the office who sort of almost have money all the time. So the assumption is that maybe the, that one is uh, putting hand in um, that is it is it right? But yeah. the person that is borrowing knows that is uh, is stolen money. 
Praise God. This is, well, you know, um, for a Christian, for you, for a believer, for you to be in that position and your salary is not enough for you and you have to borrow off somebody that you know is stealing, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say about that. Of course, it's wrong for you to have to do that. If you know the man is stealing, you are borrowing off him. You are also encouraging him to do, you know, what he is doing. I think you should dissuade from doing that. You should not even do that at all. Praise God. Pastor Moody, when somebody takes what something that is stolen, legally, what is that? You are receiving stolen property. So you are. A... So if they trace the money to your account, in fact, the person who even receives, you know, most times will get the higher judgment because mm -hmm. you are the one that is encouraging mm -hmm. <laughs> the stealing. That is just the position. That is the law. Mm -hmm. If they give the other one one year, they can give you two years. For receiving stolen property. Praise Jesus. So one last question. I'm going to take the question around the three of you. Is on parenting. One last question. So um, we're going to round up shortly in, um, let's call it seven minutes. So you have two, two minutes to answer the question. By the time you're done, I should have one minute left. So the question is, how do you determine the appropriate degree of punishment for misconduct for children. You know, these Proverbs 22, 6 and 13, 24. It talks about spend, he spared the rod and spoiled the child. Okay, praise the yes. Lord. You know, when we read the scripture and we hear spare the rod and spoil the child, we are quick to believe that God is saying we should use rod to kill our children. That is not what he's saying. Spare the rod is saying that when a child misbehaves, you deal with it immediately. It's not by flogging. It's not by headbutting. It's by sitting them down and point out their errors to them. Now, you can use, not, you can use other methods also. You can ground them. You can take what they love from them. You know, in, because we, in Nigeria, you know, you can spank and all that. But in other climes, when you do that, you can go to jail. You can lose your child. So you work out other means of disciplining that child. But you have to do it immediately. Don't say, ah, this child, well, he's just being uh, a child. No, 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 no. That takes us to the other scripture. I say we should train a child the way he should grow. So from that early stage, from when you discover the, the misbehavior, you start dealing with it. You know, look for ways, okay, to, to help them to come out of it. So, Governor Chris. All right, let me start this way. You know, if we take a scripture that I love so much, Hebrew chapter 12, verse um, 5. To 11 it talks about you know how god disciplines and how god punishes there are two words he used here he used discipline and he used punishing you know the old english we say uh, chastise and rebuke you know so discipline talks about you know subjecting us to a regiment you know physical body to a regiment even if don't as you know so that we can be we can be trained and but punishment or rebuke is actually taking an action for an error for contravening a commandment. So that is one scripture, and that is God to us. Another scripture says, 
uh, Ephesians 4, 6, it says uh, that fathers should not uh, provoke their children to wrath. You know? And some other versions will say, don't exasperate them. No, if we take those two pictures and we just suppose it, and the question is, how do you determine? You know, finding the middle ground between these two schools of thought. People who say, don't touch the child, talk to the child. And those who say, spank the child. I am in the school of thought where I spank, where it is necessary. Now, so, it, but there is a middle ground. And how do you determine that? It is the Holy Spirit. And that is why parenting is done best with the, whole, the help of the Holy Spirit. There was a time I spanked my child and the Holy Spirit spanked me. He said, how dare you touch that boy that way? You understand? And since that time, I have started learning to control. You understand? So it is with the help of the Holy Spirit that you draw a middle ground between these two extremes. Don't, you know, uh, don't exasperate. And then, and then the other ones that Africans like to stay with, uh, use rod, use that one. You know, so we need the Holy Spirit in parenting. That is when we are able to draw that middle ground and do it well. We need both. Thank you. Governor Maxwell. Praise God. Um, um, basically, I just want to look at, at the word train, train up a child. You know, I thought about it and I looked at it. To train a child, you know, is actually different for me, for me to teach. To train, because it's a child, to train a child, it means that there's a deliberate attempt where you take out time and, you know, prepare to guide that child to a particular direction, not just, you know, by speaking and all that. So it involves having to speak. It involves having to chastise. You know, whatever you have to do is part of it. It's a training. It's not a one-stop stuff where you just only do this all the above. I have children in the house. Sometimes I spank them. Sometimes I sit with them and talk to them. Sometimes I ground them. So, you know, it depends on how, because you're training the child, you have the time to look at the behavior of the child. If the child has improved and what to do next and where to go to next and all that. It's not just a one, oh, the child has done this, then, then you react and all that. We should be slow to anger. Praise God. Hallelujah. Can we give it up for Jesus? It's been a fantastic 50 minutes, 60 minutes. We bless God Almighty. We're going home with train up a child in the way it should go. When he grows, he will not uh, depart from it. So it means show by example. So the, cons the consensus, that's the new word in Nigeria today. The consensus is by example. Children learn faster when they see what you do. Praise Jesus. Can we bless Jesus for our fantastic panelists? You've been listening to a message from the Father's Church. We are sure you've been blessed. We invite you to worship with us at Eden Center, Banek Squarimpa Expressway, near Next Kashankari, Abuja. 9 a.m. on Sundays and 6 p.m. on Wednesdays. For telephone, 09-290-9000 or 0703-158804. You can find us online at www.thefatherschurchonline.org. God bless you.